Hello and welcome to season three of Gatsby Fridays, Woohoo! a show about getting the best out of a creative life from two creative directors working around the world and based in New York City. I'm your host Alex Jamilio, and I'm Sarah Semi. And today we talk about image and representation. We discuss the changing face of our political, social, and cultural media landscape. And at the end of each episode, we make a signature cocktail to toast cheers to you. I'm Sarah. And I'm Alex. And, and this, this is, is Gatsby, Gatsby Fridays. Fridays. Alex, before we get into our conversation, let's do a check-in. How are you and what are you wearing? Whew. I feel good. I feel I feel good. I feel finally things are moving in a good direction. Knock on wood. Don't want to jinx it. Um, yeah, we've been pushing this for a while. Like We've been preparing for this season. We've been We're preparing. Way more prepared than last season. A lot for the third <laughs> season, which is great because we have a lot of good things coming up. And we have guests. Uh, starting for this season, which is great. I am wearing my. Ma- I don't know. You were you ever? You were not a big fan of Massive Attack. Yeah, I missed that boat. So I mean, I know the songs. I like them when I hear them, but I wasn't a fan. I remembered in this was 1998, and I was in Italy, and Mezzanine first dropped, and it was the biggest thing over there, and it subsequently wound up being like this huge hit in Europe. And I was obsessed with them. And when they finally came to New York that year, at the Hammerstein Ballroom, I went to go see them. Uh, two years ago, they re-released Mezzanine, and they celebrated their 22nd anniversary. So the, I got a t-shirt from that show that was at Radio City Music Hall. And it just goes to show you, time really <laughs> rolls on quickly. My goodness, 20, 22 years since that first concert to now. And it's crazy. Anyway. In terms of when you're talking about 20s and over 20 years, um, this summer we're heading the 20-year mark of when we first met. Oh, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) Yes. What a a major anniversary. 2001 internship. That's where, like, we always talk about that history on the show. But, yeah, 20 years is a big mark. What do you think we should do? everything is Balthazar or Pesties. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I don't mind. I don't mind. I wish Florent was still around because then we could do a late night somewhere and then just wind up there at like 2 in the morning, (laughs) 3 in the morning. You know how you say time passes? It's also... I, what late night are you talking? Who does? I know late there nights? are no there are no late nights. I, I would go there at a respectable hour, <laughs> have a decent meal, and then and then go home at a decent time so I can get rest so I am not hungover the next day. Yes. Um, also, restaurants are not open late anymore, let alone anything else. So. Oh my god! Right? <laughs> that is so crazy that restaurants are not. And you know, it's funny. I don't even really know because. That's I'm probably not, home by funnier. 10. Yes, that's <laughs> so. funnier that you don't even notice that part. Um, yeah, so yeah, 22 years is a long time. Oh my God, we should definitely, definitely, definitely pass these or, or Balthazar. That would be a good, that would be a good, that would be good for us. Um, to finish off the rest of my outfit, I'm wearing black jeans and I decided uh, to start thinking beyond my shoe collection because I, I am obsessed with sneakers particularly Jordans, and I have a lot of them, but I thought this year was going to be the year where I start exploring um, independent brands. So I'm wearing a pair of sneakers that's out of a out of a 
company out of Detroit, and I really like them. I'm trying to. I'm just trying to make sure I'm. They're very being, now. They're very now. They're very chunky. They have the chunky heel. They're gray. You'll see them in the video. Um, and I'm just trying to make a more conscious decision to support independent brands, support people of color, and to just get out of the Nike, you know, uniform that you the wear? Nike uniform or the, I was going to say the hamster wheel mm. that is my rotation of sneakers. How are you and what are you wearing? I'm excited to start the season. Um... I've been a little resistant to this like outfit situation because now we're going to have this like exclusive content where we're on camera talking about our outfits. Um, I'm struggling with being in front of the camera post quarantine. (laughs) I don't like the idea. I I don't like the idea of like, I like, you know, like I keep thinking, oh my God, I signed up to be on a podcast, not in front of the camera. Like it's not, it's never been my personality, but now, cause then I'm like, gonna go deep into like how does this look how does that look we're visual people <laughs> yes it's my image i have to be very conscious of it but at the same time like i think it's exciting to frame it from the perspective that we all are like you just said uh coming out of this quarantine situations what i'm wearing today is one of my favorite very grunge looking check shirts um black and cream it, uh, I got it from a sample sale years ago. I was like on a whim. Like I was, I just threw it in last second. And it's like one of those that's like, I've been wearing it for years. Um, it's really big, loose and baggy, but it's a really nice fabric. So I can tie it up. So when you tie things up at the waist, it pretends to be a little bit more like girlier, fitted, whatever. The whole goal is that it, it covers things up. And I'm wearing my black rag and bone skinny pants. I am not following the trends at all of the looser pants. I know pants are wider now. I don't like jeans them. in particular. I don't like I them. I, it's not my thing. I don't know. I'm just worried that they're gonna go low waist again, which is it's been popping up right and left. There's always this threat in the media about like low rise jeans are coming back. Nobody wants them. It's too hard. We're not models. Yes, unless you're unless you're 19, 17 to nineteen. Exactly. I don't know who's wearing low yes. rise pants. Apparently, Bella Hadid on the streets of Soho. And I was well, like, well, I'm well. not Bella. I'm not her age. So I'm not looking forward to this style, like, going low waist. So, like, I'm wearing high-waisted skinny jeans because that's what makes me feel and fit and hold things in kind of thing. Um, but I've also, I need these pants to feel looser. So that's my goal by the end of the season to, when I put these on, they're going to be like, oh, they're t- these are too loose. <laughs> Um, and I'm wearing my usual uh, white sneakers. I just really like this. I, I'm a small girl and I have small feet. So most sneakers, when they have this like heavier, chunkier bottoms, I feel like I'm, I'm a clown, like big feet. So I found this random Kohlhaan pair. And then I bought a second one because I love them so much. Because every other brand is just like a little heavier, a little thicker, a little wider at the toe. Um, these fit me perfectly. And I wore them so much that they got so beat up. I have two pairs. I have the nice pair, and then I have the rain pair. Mm-hmm. It's also like you know I can wear them in the rain kind of thing. Um, so that's what I'm. That's what I'm wearing. I feel like the the '90s seems to be a, a, a recurring style over the last couple of years. Your sh- your shirt reminds me of like oh, it's totally the, the whole 90s. the whole Mark Jacobs thing during the '90s when he was ripping off grunge, and then he decided to re-release. All of that within the last couple of years, 
to re-release his grunge collection from the 90s. And it, there was this huge kind of outcry because, once again, he's selling flannel shirts for $400, <laughs> which is utterly ridiculous. But he captured something back then, and there, he, there was certainly a market for it. Yeah, 90s were a little moody. Like I, like, I think we've been very influenced by 90s visually this season, too. I think maybe that's what's oh, yes, catching up yes, with our trailer. Oh, yes, yes, trailer. Very 90s. The the episode covers are also have this like 90s camera angle of like coming at the camera, standing in front of the camera and like staring at a kind of look. Um, so I'm excited to like kind of explore that and use it in our new current visual language. So, you know, I think the shirt just fits right into that theme of like we're exploring and how do we how do we bring that visual nostalgic language into today? Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Sarah. Not only will we be exploring race, but we'll also be talking about families. Camilla Harris being the first person of color to become VP of the U.S. She's not only of Black and Southeast Asian descent, she also brings the first blended family to the White House. Why do you think this is so important for us right now? Um, for me, as a single woman who's never married, doesn't have kids, seeing an alternative happy family at the, at the level that she is, we haven't seen examples of this. We have we have a lot of examples of uh, successful women not having children and living alternative lifestyles, but not in this level on the world stage. Uh, like you know, we know Oprah doesn't have kids. She, she chose not to have kids, and she speaks openly about that. But um, the fact that she Kamala has a family through her husband, they call her Momala. It changes the all of a sudden the expectations and the possibilities for someone like me that you can have a family at any stage in your life. And I find that hopeful in a way because, you know, like I live in New York. We live differently here than the rest of the world. Time yes. moves at a different speed from a society's expectations point of view in New York. So but compared to the rest of the world, I'm an unmarried single woman. I've gone to seed. So like... But seeing someone like her in that position is incredible because she brings a different kind of family. It Also, I mean, Biden and uh, the Biden family is also a, a different and, and it's not his first family. Um, and it's a huge family that comes from both of them. Uh, the nuclear family is no longer the thing to aspire to. There are other options. It isn't just one way. And I find that hopeful and exciting. And you're also raising mixed children. Yeah, so it's exciting to see children that are of mixed race being so high profile in, in, in the public sphere because, you know, I, it, representation is important. That's why we're talking about this. But for, for me and to make sure that my children see that there are people that look like them in the upper echelons of, of our political society, that they not only have a voice... But they also have visual representation, some markers to say, oh, you know what? There are people who look like me that can aspire. And once again, being a parent, you always want to inspire your children. It doesn't hurt that society also echoes that for you and makes my job a heck of a lot easier. It's a, it's a sign that the society is turning, it's, um, the, the wave is turning a little bit. So the opportunities that they will have when they grow up 
is also going to be Definitely. more than what Kamala Harris had to fight to get there. Yes. Her being there already is opening doors for your kids to have different struggles. We all have our own struggles for very different reasons to each his own. But from that perspective, she's already paved a little bit of the way so that your kids can pave a different way for the next generation. Like that levels of like opening up opportunities for others. I find that hopeful and exciting. No, you're right. And and you speak what you said I'm latching on to. It's totally generational. You know, she's paved the way for even even for someone like me to see her there. I'm it's just very exciting. And of course, my kids, when they see her, especially during the uh, the inaugura- the inaugurational speeches and and we watch those all together as a family. My kids were there and they were happy. They saw so many different people in the audience. They saw Amanda Gorman, 23-year-old prodigy. Just beautiful, you know? And and I think it's wonderful. I get goosebumps every time I think about her speech saying, I may be the first, but I'm not the last. Like that, just still saying that out loud gives me goosebumps. So good. It's it's so energizing, especially after the four years that we've had, just to be able to see that, okay, there's there's light. (laughs) Here is the light. But again, like uh, we all talk about her um, uh, racial background for, from a representation perspective, but I think it's also really important to highlight that not only as a female, but also as a different, different format of family that she brings into the stage is really important to me. When we get back, we'll continue our conversation. This is Gatsby Fridays. Alex, we gave each other homework for this episode. We wanted to talk about media that... That shows good examples of representation and talking about cultures that we're not used to, hearing about stories that we're not used to hearing about. So you were asking me about Turkish culture, and recently this series came out on Netflix. The English title is Ethos, and I thought that there's no better example of a current profile into Turkish society right now. And you told me to watch... Parasite. Parasite, yes. Because it shows the disparities in Korean society. So we're taking this whole, like, representation is not just race, but it's also cultures mm-hmm. approach for this yep. part of it, conversation. Um, so tell me about it. So I wanted to say thank you, because I don't know if I would have ever watched it if it were not for your recommendation. And also, you know, what do I know about Turkish culture and society? Next to nothing. And this kind of opened my eyes, and that's and that's the beauty, right, of of film and television to really give us a perspective. That's why representation is important because that's how we learn about other cultures. Exactly, and this and with ethos, it was fascinating because not only is it a cultural thing that I that I am I was not privy to, the religious aspect of it is very steep within the culture. Mm-hmm. It defines who the people are in their lives between the secular and the non secular. But it also makes them, you know, it's also a source of conflict. Yeah. And trying to rationalize who they need to be within their societies. One of the things that I uh, walked away from with Ethos is the the character of the therapist who is very well put together. She's 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 put together she's prompt there's 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 a tightness to her and she's made sure that she's received an education that's has made her more enlightened than the other women in her society 
only to realize that she is the one that's that has been repressed. I ended up not all positive aspects identifying with that character the most because there was this moment where she she's talking to an actress that that's in a Turkish TV series and like they're talking about the woman's work and she goes, "Did you watch it?" and she goes, "Oh no, I don't watch Turkish series." Ugh. And I'm like, "Oh my god, that's me." <laughs> like and I there is a resentment that I feel towards sometimes um the society and the re- religious oppression of women and that's obviously like with even the current like news and in, in France and stuff like it's it's always a controversial yes. value right you can't impose your values on other people and in Turkey my my struggle with that concept is that they don't want to just cover their own heads they also want me to cover mine it's not that they want to be left alone and do what they believe in which i have so much respect for but they also want to change how i live that's what what i have a problem with mm. in general but in my society because we grew up with that it 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 gives me this like initial initial perspective is always immediately like no but the show forces you to see that prejudice on your own self like at least for me that was the case and i'm like yes we do there was that moment where she mentions the hoja the main character the the, the spiritual leader, leader of the of community, the community. Mm-hmm. and i'm like oh god and it's not like and he turns out to be this like harmless little family man that's got you know his had a hard life on his own he has like, a lot going on unto right? himself and he doesn't abuse the community he tr- he really with his best self tries to help them is it great advice every time not necessarily but he has no bad intention yes and he he was actually one of my more favorite characters especially male characters yeah because he was actually softer not yelling all the time oh yes and he loved his wife yeah he and he loved his daughter yep and i don't want to give too, yeah uh, well, too much away but man and after after what you know and then he still he still really feels for his 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 daughter wow well that's the thing that's why it's the show was really good at what it did it made you it showed the true uh, resentments and and uh, prejudices in the community by showing a different like shedding a different light on it on the issues but also not pretending like some of some of these prejudices are there for a reason like mm. i didn't just all of a sudden go- decide that this was the case like i grew up with this thing around me like you start feeling um you know the the uneducated young girl who who's so smart you want her to just you, you, to think for herself. Yes. Like, you know, it's not... Well, but she it is thinking. It's well, not... It's, she's In there, the society, right? it's yeah. not able to come out. That's the thing. So, like, there's a lot of aspects to it, and it's not just one wrong thing about the religion and the head cover. It's not about that, but the show does a really well... Uh, uh, a really good job of highlighting these prejudices. Also, the like, the... The differences in the community from an ethnic perspective, from a cultural perspective, yes. from a wealth perspective. Um, it's just, and from a gender perspective, like it shows everything. And it still like is not in a preachy way. It still pulls you in and you're like, oh, because after the first episode, I, all my friends were texting that I have to watch it. And I did. And I was like, why are you guys loving this so much? There's men yelling at women the entire episode. Why is this so great? Like, I had yes. to, like, force myself through it. The first one was really hard for me to watch. I, I want to say that we were talking about the male characters earlier and how the Hoja, the spiritual advisor for the community, was one of the very few positive male characters. But also, 
towards the end of the episode, there is a love interest that seems simplistic uh, at first, but it becomes it becomes a little bit deeper. And then I asked you the question, you know, in terms of uh, not only, I guess, the, the dating pool, but opportunities that people truly have to meet each other in Turkey, which is seems to be very limited, especially the main character who is more provincial. Well, I mean, it's the same here, too. It's not that different. Yeah. The reality of unpleasant and unfortunate reality of life is that education it becomes a separator, and education is a means. And if you, do, if you can't afford it, then you can't get it, and then that's eventually what separates the classes when you grow up. I'm not talking about, like, caste system like India. I'm talking about just it's very rare to be able to pull yourself out of that. Mm. So I think it always comes down to education for me. Like, when I look at it, and this this young woman, she's smart, but she didn't to high school. She had to start working. And even if she got to high school, because it's a girl, they're probably going to say, like, what, why are you going to school? She has to fight the men like stopping her she goes to therapy and then she gets a little like self-aware and then all of a sudden the older brother is like what's up with you you need to stop this therapy because i don't like what it's doing to you because all of a sudden she can think for herself for five minutes and then he loses it because he can't oppress her the same way but the educated female characters are also going through their own yes. their own forms of uh especially prejudice within even their own families yeah you know and and worrying about why did they choose a more more western looking approach to life as opposed to their their religious approach to life especially when it comes to the second the second therapist yes in her life, that's, who is of yeah. kurdish ancestry i believe yeah yes um it's it's all of it and it becomes nationalistic like, as well yes it's well i look at that as ethnic but yes you're right it's nationalistic because it's yeah all of that is it's like i mean it's too much to like summarize and yes there's so many characters but it, it's so it's such a well-told story it's also a story like i like watching things that i haven't seen before in terms of the storytelling i stop remaking the movies <laughs> tell me a new story <laughs> it's been done do your own job do a new one and this is one of those instances where it's it's a story i haven't heard before but also having lived far away from the country for 21 years it has definitely forced me to see parts of it that i don't witness daily anymore i i left when i was 18 so in the last 21 years the country has changed and i am the, I like you know i felt that like oh yeah i don't watch the turkish shows but i'm also the one that's looking down on the hoja but like i'm not there I don't deal with it. So some of the things have changed over two decades. Some of them haven't. It was a very different... I had a lot of self-reckoning to do when I watched this. And it's it, it's kind of like how Parasite guilted me into thinking, you know, when I'm in Turkey, sometimes like when if you take the, the ferry or if you're in a cab, the cabs are old, old cars. So there, there's a dusty smell to it that bother me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my people are my smell of my people like I actually joke about it but then it's you know it's kind of in a disgusted way because nobody likes to smell people <laughs> but it is really prevalent in uh, in Parasite the, yes. the scent and how it divides class and and how the well-off people approach that smell and I was like and it it does because nobody likes unpleasant smells number it one <laughs> so like clearly but also it kind of highlights that these people don't have the means to not smell like you see how they live and it, it puts that guilt on you for judging them for it well do you think it's more but i've done that too <laughs> something that's just 
unfamiliar to your sensibility because I feel like Mm-mm. smell is smell is a very personal thing. It's a very personal thing, but the what he's highlighting there is that these people live all like in close proximity in to each very other very close proximity to yes. each other when that whole like the flood happens into the city the the toilet just keeps pumping crap dirty out water into the, it's not just dirty water it's sewage water, sewage water like, into but the it apartment. Also, like i mean obviously it's overdone to like get that reaction out of you but that was like you know their toilet it has to be on an upper step in the apartment to be able to have the flush system to even work because they're that deep down in the basement um, and yeah, I've, I've smelled people that are from a different means in my own country too. And wherever you run into that person who is not well, uh, but it's, it's not because they don't want to, they just don't have the means and smell is something you get used to Yes. The things that you smell. You don't smell them after a while yourself. Mm-hmm. So they don't smell each other. They don't smell themselves because they live in it. So, but from the outside, someone who has not been in their space smells it on them. That's the whole like it, and it just guilts you into it, and it shames you for, for noticing that and and being critical of it because everybody wants to smell pleasantly, <laughs> right? Like, so like anything that's slightly off turns us off, like turns us sour immediately, and that, and it's a very strong sense tied to memory. It really does highlight that like shame. So in a way, it's another level of self reckoning that I felt with that I did. But ethos, it was just too close to home for me. Mm. But with Parasite, like seeing the class divide, I had no idea. My only Korean friend, her siblings, one of them lives in the US, one of them lives in, no, I think, Northern California in the US, the other one was in Berlin. You know, she went to Very one of worldly. the most expensive art schools with me. Clearly, she's not the one that lives in the basement. But I, that's all my exposure to Korean culture was through her and living in LA. It's the largest Korean population outside of Korea. I don't, I haven't experienced it as much as you have. Well, I've, I've been to Korea and pretty much the same the same circumstances for you like the Korean people that I know are the Korean people who have come to this country who are, who were educated who who were people of means what parasite did for me was highlight the other side of, of Korea which is essentially the other side of almost every coin for every society that you you uncover and realize yes there is a there there are systems there are pseudo caste systems that are in place everywhere yeah. I mean, that's what I mean by like the unfortunate reality of society is not everyone has the same means and, you know, communism failed for a reason because <laughs> it sounds great on paper, but it doesn't really work the same way um, in real life. Uh, it's just that's the that's the sad reality of life. It's hard to watch, yes. but also, I mean, that's why I, like I don't think I can watch Nomadland. It's I, I find it so hard to, the to Francis just, McDormand one. Yes, I mean she's an incredible actress. It's winning all the awards, and it's I, I saw the preview, and it just gave me like a tight chest feeling, like the idea that that you feel so lost in life that you don't want a home over your head and you just wander off is, it's a personal choice, and I respect them for who they are, and I'm sure they're lovely people. I just could like that the darkness that i felt like watching that preview it's my own hang-ups clearly but it's hard but i'm so glad there's a movie that makes me think of that right the i think the beauty of representation in media is that it allows us to see and understand people we wouldn't know about otherwise we i wouldn't understand the circumstances of other people i wouldn't understand circumstances of most of korean society but this particularly obviously 
overplays a lot of like you know yeah, it's, it's, it's dramatic, for dramatic effect but what did you think of the the visual style of um, parasite i mean it's it's trying it's shock value part of it i mean i understand it's also very korean to like have that like extreme like violent bursts in the candy land of like the the rich and the wealthy kind of thing and, and it does what it's supposed to do really well it's effective yes i you know again two basements both of the basements <laughs> and then the man just like he's so happy to live there and he's just sending out most growth messages like of course it's a story it's a fictional story but it's like it, it it puts a bag of rocks on your chest and you can't get on uh, from underneath it like it just it's so heavy and it's harsh and the visual style is it highlights that yes. right like and it's trying to get pretty much trying to get, elicit this reaction out of me and it succeeds it's very saturated for that effect but in and in sharp contrast to ethos and how the visual aesthetic was much more flat muted color which to me a lot of the visuals looked like paintings. There was so much mm. care put into composition where you would not only see the person, you would see the textiles that they're wearing, you would see the texture of the environment that they're in, plus the light that comes in, in into play within a frame. It was beautiful. And it was yes. really, really amazingly shot. And I thought, this is gorgeous. I mean, first of all, it made me want to go to Turkey. <laughs> and I thought this is a great tra travel travel ad. Um, but the the visual aesthetic seems to go in line not only with what the story is, but what true color it would be is, there. It is. It's kind of strange. Like it's not a. I mean, the south of Turkey where it's warmer and the lush and like you know it's it's kind of like similar to architecture in Greek on the Aegean side where it's like whitewashed buildings with pops of green everywhere but other than that it's actually yeah it's not color wise really that vibrant mm. I, don't, I don't mean it in a negative way it's just like i i remember winters being really gray in new york we have gray days too yes. but we have a really bright winter sun that makes colors yeah makes colors very crisp and popping mm. i i i remember winters as gray across the board so a and lot it's of just over, like, overcast so a muted yeah, color yeah yeah so like that yeah. was very well reflected that, in that 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 they showed it in ethos i believe yeah it's beautifully done it's a brand new story i'm looking forward to more stories just like that i i love the fact that we're getting more representative stories culturally netflix has been doing a lot of production work across the world working with local companies giving local people the opportunities but it's not just uh, financial opportunities to get this stuff produced, but it also puts them on a world stage because this title has a different name in Turkish, which you watched it and like I asked you to oh, listen yes. to it in Turkish because you, you can you can tell the difference between someone speaking from the throat versus not like you made you don't have to understand the language, but you can tell the difference between the accents and how they speak. So you wanted bit. me just to give some background. You wanted me to at least see the it's a it's an eight episode series, and you wanted me to at least see the first full episode in the Turkish language just so I could understand the tonations even if I didn't understand what they were saying and I challenged myself of course you did. <laughs> to see the whole thing in Turkish all eight episodes and it was enlightening even though I didn't understand what they were saying I could I could get the tone and the inflection yeah because the dub is not it wasn't good 
I, it, it was a little too monotone and it didn't reflect any any of those obviously feelings because like you know the, the accents difference the speaking from the throat is is from the less educated people mm -hmm. versus the other one has more like a you know cleaned palette of like enunciating things you can you don't have to understand the language to understand the difference i'm glad i did i did watch it in in the turkish language because i felt like it was important even though i had to do a lot of reading but it was important to just get the tone in my ear yeah therefore i felt like even if i didn't understand i could i could follow the story a little bit more clearly yeah. especially when there was a lot of big emotion oh and the yelling the and yelling. yelling you could really get it yeah. um i really think that netflix is doing an incredible job of representation it's like it's not only that these these series were like they invest financially in that but they the world stage that this show has now yes um i could see it the day it came out in turkey here on netflix i had the choice of listening to it in turkish or english Amazing. and it's i think that's incredible and that's something that they but they they're not just trying that the, the goal wasn't to just try to american content to the rest of the world it's also bringing that world content into the american homes it's, yes. it, it works both ways and i think they're doing an incredible job of it we want more representation we have two more stories to talk about the film tenant and the netflix show Ginny and georgia sarah want to describe what the show's about so Ginny and Georgia is kind of a candy, like kind of like a southern chiclet kind of show. What I like is that even in these shows, it's more high school content. That Netflix is doing a really good job of lifting up different cultures' productions, but also in in even in American productions, the storylines. They've done the Thirteen Reasons Not to, which is talks about teen suicide, and 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 the after effects of that, and like how it affects the community. The parents and all of that it's very heavy it's very hard to watch but it was a very interesting story because it's something that you never would otherwise know about right mm. they do that they've done a lot of asian teen romance specifically not like from asia like american asian like from here so janine georgia uh, has mixed families that they talk about so uh Ginny, Ginny and Georgia. Georgia is the mom, and Ginny is the is a teenager daughter. Georgia is white. Ginny's dad is black. So she's she, there's a moment where she talks about like you know being the black girl and like, but she's also dating the Taiwanese American kid in school. And so they kind of get into this argument where Taiwanese she says, American who's also mixed or Taiwanese well, yeah. American. Taiwanese American mixed. Yes. Mixed. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Good question. So uh, his mom is white and his dad is Taiwanese. So and she and Ginny says like it's it's harder for me. It's like I'm more of a mix than you are. And he goes, How dare you? Like you don't know me. And then even even two kids. I mean they're kids, so they're learning how to deal with this. They're they're trying to figure out their identities and they're kind of stuck in between. And even they both have similar struggles from being mixed in a, in a very white suburban New England community, they still attack each other for saying mine is worse than yours kind of thing. Like it's mm. just very, but it's a real conversation. That's the thing. They get into an argument and they get a word, whatever. But like the fact that a teenage show doesn't just talk about teen pregnancies, it talks about these real issues that kids are going to have to deal with, that they're going to have to face whatever communities that they live in like this is just kind of you know it's again it's it's a drama it's dramatized 
it's it's a fictional show. It's in the setting of kind of a scam artist, a survivalist kind of thing. So there's a lot of things going on in the show, but it also adds these conversations in a teenage show, which I appreciate. Like it, it's for both for teenagers and I guess young people like me. Like so, is it, so is it is it funny? It's not a funny show. Okay. I mean, there are funny moments in it, yes. but it's not a comedy show. Okay, it's, it's not it's, a comedy. It's not a comedy, but like, you know, there's also a, a lesbian character that's in high school. Um, so in this tiny little community in New England, she's trying to date. Yes. Uh, and it's there's only one other lesbian person, so they try to date each other, but then it comes to a stop. And it's just very, very real about how all these little stories that... Uh, I didn't watch when I was growing up because it wasn't included because it was not talked about, right? Everything was clearly whitewashed. So like, in addition to, I think, reaching out to different countries and cultures, I think Netflix is doing a good job of talking about telling these stories. Mm. They had a mishap judging, uh, saying, you know, you're changing, you're going through a man like Taylor Swift, which she called them out on Twitter, which was kind of really, really terrible of them to do considering like they're actually so... I think, in my opinion, they're doing a good job. They're doing more than everybody else does right now, in my opinion, and producing content that tells unique stories of racial representation, sexual gender representation, all of that. But they, they, they mess attack, up like they this. go Obviously, and attack Taylor Swift. Yeah, and in a, a, a such a tacky like. Seems silly. Like, That's why it's a misogynistic way. So yes. it was just very unnecessary, and and Taylor Swift goes and it happened to air the week of women's month way to go like pretty much called them out and you know this is how you reward working women good, like this is so good, not okay good for her. happy yeah. women's day to you i guess oh. kind of thing and they of course it's a big company they mess up but i also feel like they have on the, they're not perfect is what i'm trying to say i'm not like this is not a netflix sponsor thing but for me and lately in terms of representation of culture and all that i have noticed that that more on the Netflix platform than more of all, all of the other channels that I subscribe to. And let me tell you, post-pandemic, I have way more TV subscriptions than anyone should because there's nothing else to do. That's what I think about. Because I think you would you would enjoy seeing this show, even though it's a little girly, because it talks about kids in high school that are of mixed background, how they're fitting in with the rest of the community. It's, it's interesting. And I, I would probably, I should take a look at it. I'm very curious. Tell me about Tenet. I don't. I haven't seen it. I don't really know what it's about. Oof. So I'm glad you're sitting down. So Tenet is the latest film from Christopher Nolan. This past Valentine's Day, uh, my wife and I thought, you know, we should sit down. We're home. We should watch a movie. The kids are the kids are in bed. Let's figure out what would be a nice romantic movie to watch. <laughs> That's what you picked. <laughs> and I always wanted to see Tenet. And she said, oh, okay, I'm I'm willing to see whatever. And by the end of the movie, we're sitting on opposite sides of the sofa, wishing that I had a pen and a, and, and, a, and a pad to have followed the script to write down everything I needed to know, because I'm sure I've missed tons of stuff that, that lead to what the actual story is about. So I'm not going to go into what the story is about because it's real big and convoluted. It's a spy thriller uh, on a scale of global espionage, John David Washington. Uh, Denzel Washington's son is a lead character called the protagonist and it deals with time travel but the I would like that I like time travel stories you sit down with a with a pad and a a, a pencil but what 
struck me i mean first of all visually it, it was shot stunningly and it was beautiful in the fashion every single thing anybody wore in this movie i would want to own uh it was robert pattinson suits john david washington's shirts and his casual wear in 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 capri oh that's that's my that's my jam <laughs> that's my jam but what made it really great was the fact that here's this big budget movie and in the world of this movie he he's He's an African-American character whose race is not questioned or highlighted. In Elaborate this... on that? What do you mean by that? Well, because typically you'd watch something and there's always this notion, especially when characters are being written, that this character wouldn't be able to perform this type of duty. This doesn't ring authentic. It's a story that's just made up. It could be anything. And, and it really depends on the performance. If you can produce a performance that's authentic and rings true, people are going to believe it. And I think in this case, it wasn't his racial identity that dictated the course of where the character was going. The character made smart decisions. The character made decisions that that fell in line with what the story was. And all of this, and even within the movie... So don't you think that's like counterintuitive to representation? Like, tell me why that makes sense to you, because... You know, we want to highlight these black characters and, and, and the roles that, that are created for black actors. Like, in, you know, Viola Day was saying at her award show, like, these roles were not created for our lights before her being her. She should be, she's just in her own. She does. She does. Like, she that's does. The thing. Yes. So, like, the opportunities are not there for black actors and actresses to, like, to have these roles. But you're saying that the, for the, the fact that he was black was irrelevant. How is that important in terms of representation both points are valid and important i think representation is important because you need to see your stories up on the screen because there are many stories to tell but also we're watching movies we're watching media and sometimes you want to get into a story and know that these characters because for so long characters of color have been marginalized and been made to be less than, especially in movies. Now, here we are, hopefully we're getting characters that are more three-dimensional, more well thought out, and that are smart, plain and simple. So you're saying we not only we need to have black actors for roles that are written for black characters, we also need to have opportunities for black actors to act in any character to take a really strong emotional deep dive into something that doesn't have to necessarily always have just to because do they're black but with they're a struggle actually great of actors. their of 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 the racial struggle that's a very that's a refreshing perspective on representation I, I i feel like this movie did that and in within the movie you know he's dealing with russian oligarchs he's dealing with with russian mafia all these heavies and no one highlights his race he's just well versed at what he does and he does a job with discipline i think that's great and now for our favorite part of this and every episode our signature cocktail alex tell me about this episode's cocktail so what we were thinking about was celebration representation and a new administration what would be a better drink than a cure royale tell me about cure royale Okay, so Cure Royale is a French champagne cocktail, although you can make it with a sparkling wine like a Prosecco. And it's really simple, which was great. All you need to do is chill a champagne flute, two of them, and you just need six parts champagne, 
half a part of creme de cassis. Put that all together and garnish with a lemon twist. And that's it. Oh my God, I can't wait to make this. Let's do it. Oh my God, I'm ready. Thank you for hanging with us for a list of resources mentioned in this episode. Hop onto our site, GatsbyFridays.com. You can find the recipe for a Cure Royale on our website, GatsbyFridays.com. For show notes or if you want to leave a comment, suggest a show topic, get at us on our site. Don't forget to rate us, give us five stars, write a review on Apple Podcast. It really helps and get us in front of more ears and build an audience. Or if you're a Spotify person, make sure to follow us at Gatsby Fridays. Follow us on Instagram for exclusive content like Alex making this week's drink on our Insta stories throughout the week. You can now listen to the podcast on our own new YouTube channel, subscribe, and stay up to date on latest videos. On our next episode, we talk about what has a year in quarantine meant to us. This This is Gatsby Gatsby Fridays. Fridays.